0: A reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 4:23 through chapter 5:12. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from, the, and from beyond the Jordan. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of God for the people of God.
1: Thanks be to God. You may be seated. connect us to the summer we spent looking at Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, where Jesus says, come unto me all you are lonely or who are heavy laden, uh, I will give you rest. If you will take my yoke and learn from me, then I will give rest to your souls. And my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we learned in that study that the yoke is a picture of God's word, uh, that in the Jewish times when Jesus showed up, You talk about uh, taking the yoke of God's word uh, from uh, the rabbis and their teaching about the word of God. So the yoke is the word of God, but notice Jesus says, it's my yoke, it's my teaching. And we'll see here how he opens up to us new vistas of understanding God's revelation through the way he has taught us how to live and the way we can live it. So we talk about law and gospel. They must be held distinct from each other, but they must be brought together. And here in the Sermon on the Mount, we see the powerful outpouring of what Jesus was habitually and continually teaching all his followers about here's what life on life looks like. Here's what life in the community looks like. Here's what living out the life for me looks like is to understand how to take my yoke, which is summarized and distilled, and it is so powerfully concentrated, the revelation of God's character, our need for the gospel, but how our king shows up through this great teaching and says this radical thing, go into the, end of the earth and teach people to live everything that I've taught you. Everything, not just a few things, but everything that I've taught you. And that's why we gather here this morning as we gather to hear from him that he is a good shepherd. So let's take a moment and pray. I encourage you to pray for someone near you to hear the voice of the good shepherd this morning. Now pray for me to hear the voice of the good shepherd as we uh, gather uh, around the word together. Jesus, we come because you said my sheep will hear my voice, and we pray that you would speak to us clearly this morning the amazing good news of that you're always with us and you're always on our side. Amen. So as an application for our study, I want to encourage right out of the gate all the individuals, families, uh, people here together to print out the Valley of Vision it's a poem from uh, our Puritan forefathers that was read a lot. Uh, and I encourage you to do this in a number of ways. Read it in your uh, times alone with the Lord, or read it at dinner time, or whenever you share a family meal, have one of the family members uh, read it before you give thanks for your food. Uh, but to have your children read it, or when you put your children to bed, read this to them because. It is so wonderful, again, to see throughout history, as we looked at Richard of Chichester, uh, how he wrote this beautiful poem that shows up in Godspell to see him more clearly, to follow him more nearly, to love him more dearly, day by day. Uh, This poem captures a lot of what we're going to be going over all the time. So here's a way to take it in, okay? So listen to uh, this poem. prayer this poem that the way up is down Lord high and holy meek and lowly thou has brought me to the valley of vision where I live in the depths but see thee in the heights hemmed in by mountains of sin I behold thy glory let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up that to be low is to be high That the broken heart is the healed heart. That the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit. That the repenting soul is the victorious soul. That to have nothing is to possess all. That to bear the cross is to wear the crown. That to give is to receive. That the valley is the place of vision. Lord, in the daytime, stars can be seen from the deepest wells, And the deeper the wells, the brighter thy stars shine. Let me find thy light in my darkness, thy life in my death, the joy in my sorrow, the grace in my sin, the riches in my poverty, the glory in my valley." We come to the Beatitudes. We want to notice that Jesus is now fulfilling the prophetic role of Moses. He is bringing the law of God to the people of God. He is the new lawgiver. But notice the way he begins. He doesn't say, do not do this, or you should not have this, or whatever. He begins with the word blessed. And he starts that way to invite us into what it means to embrace a way of living that he's provided for us to live through him that makes us want more. Um, And what you're going to see as we go through this, uh, I was thinking about this illustration. My kids would not like this illustration and Valerie might not like it, but I'm going to use it anyway uh, because it communicates, all right? So some of you remember going through drive-throughs or going to what at the time was my favorite hamburger place uh, to eat uh, fast food, and I would never eat there again. But in the day, I thought it was you know the bomb to eat there. Uh, but anyway, whatever you go through the drive-through or make an order, they'd say, "Do you want to supersize that?" You know which meant, do you want a big drink, and you want the double cheeseburger, and you want the supersize prize? Fries. And, you know, and I was like, absolutely, yeah, I'll do that. You know, I want to supersize it. Well, the Beatitudes is to supersize your joy in God, your joy in your knowledge of God. It's God inviting you to say, I want more. Uh, God wants you to awaken to your desire of more of him in your life, more of him in your story. And in the Beatitudes, Jesus does it this way. Here's the teaching pattern. The first thing is the uh, proclamation. The proclamation is every one of the nine Beatitudes starts with blessed. Then there's the path. Here's here's what your here's the way to live out your blessed your your sense of God's joy for you, and here is the promise, and here's the thing to see here is that when Jesus uh, gathers the crowds together, uh, and he's either teaching the disciples separately, but we know he did them all together at different times. When we read in Matthew four, Jesus is doing all this great stuff. I mean, all this stuff is doing is curative. It's powerful. So why would Jesus stop and teach? Uh, Why would he keep healing people? Why would he keep feeding people? Why would he keep doing uh, what he was doing? Because he was setting in motion the truth, the teaching, his yoke for his people in a way that we would inherit the joy and the wonder of the power of his word to change and transform and to heal people, to really give people a life they never thought that they could have. So when it says that Jesus sat down in his day, the rabbis, when they would teach, they would sit down. We talk about in, in academia, a professor having a chair. Um, the whole idea is this tradition, Judaic Christian tradition of teaching from sitting. It says he sat down and then he opened his mouth. Now, is that just a, um, sort of a creative way to say he said? No, the word open there to open his mouth was to communicate this idea, I'm getting ready to teach you what's central to my heart for you. So that just to even notice in the text, when it says he sat down at position of authority, he opens his mouth, which is a, a, a metaphor for he's gonna open his heart to us. And he's going to speak to us. And you can imagine of hearing all these great stories of what Jesus was doing, and then getting to hear him speak. Because what we'll see when we study this passage is that people were thrilled by what he was doing, but they loved the way he communicated God's word to them. They were excited about what he offered them. Now, when we study this and we begin to look at it, we notice that When Jesus starts off with blessed, he's not talking about some future, pious, platitude, hope of the future. He's talking about the here and now. He's saying basically this, the joy that God has for his world, for his people is unstoppable, undefeatable, unextinguishable. But here's the problem. Even though it's not, you're not able to stop the joy that God's flooding the earth with. You're not able to defeat it. You're not able to put it out. But here's the problem. You can miss it. You can miss the joy that God has for you in his world. And so the Beatitudes are a call to joy, deep, powerful joy. Now, just think, some of you know this, these verses. We rejoice in our suffering. Count it pure joy when you're in difficult trials. And again, if we're missing what God has for us, those sound like crazy talk. I mean, that's cray-cray. I mean, really? How do I have joy in the midst of this unbelievable heartache and trial that I am? How can joy coexist with real sadness? Or a sense of, I keep messing up, I keep messing up, I keep messing up. And yet there's a joy there for Jesus to show you that will help you begin to interpret your failures, your mistakes, your sins in a way. It will begin to mysteriously change you. And what seemed to be so powerful in your life, like in my ministry of many years and sitting with people, they just feel like they're a slave to this or a slave to that. And they just cannot figure out how to be free from the very thing that they hate, but they keep doing, Romans 7. But thanks be to God, uh, there is a joy that seeks us even in our sin. And one of the things that we learned in our study, which is so powerful, there's nothing that we can do because of who Christ is and (laughs) what he's doing for us right now that would cause him to be repelled by our continually screwing up. So again, if you want to look up a great verse, and you're going, where is he going with this? Proverbs 24:16, the righteous man falls seven times. The word seven means continually. The righteous person is constantly messing up, but it says he gets up. What enables us to not just stay down on ourselves, down on other people? What I, what allows us to get get it going? The word here, blessed, and the way Jesus taught it, it's like a shout. Um, if you read the Psalms, shout to the Lord, all of the earth, praise him. It's not like, praise him, shout him, you know? It's like, Jesus, you know? It's to shout. Jesus is bringing a triumphant trumpet blast of the kingdom of heaven which is the promise that we'll get to in just a moment it's a trumpet blast that that, uh, brings the thunder it brings the lightning Um, just a little code here the more I'm with you the more I preach I'll get really excited about a passage and then I'll stop and I'll go boom (laughs) you know or I'll go wow but usually uh, I will say boom And you know that in Jesus' uh, ministry uh, that there were times in his experience where it thundered and God spoke to him directly. Uh, So when I say boom, it is the thunder of heaven. And one of the things that's really great about being the people of God in such a time like this is we get to bring the thunder, the joy, the lightning, if you will, of who God is and what he wants us to do. Uh, Right now, our son Luke is reading to our grandson James, the Chronicles of Narnia. And uh, in book two, uh, you all know that this little line that C.S. Lewis designed. Now, let's just put ourselves, Lewis is writing to his nephews and nieces who had to flee London because London is being bombed. He writes the Chronicles of Narnia. So you can imagine, you know, we've, we're living in the pandemic, how hard it is and difficult it is, but what would it be like where we had to flee greater Boston, Cambridge because we're being bombed by an enemy and we have to run into New Hampshire or Vermont and hide out? And so Lewis has this great line, which I think really captures what happens to a lot of us, where he says, you know, because of what's going on. It is always winter and it is never Christmas. Okay. It's always winter and it's never Christmas. And it kind of sets the stage for, wow, it was really dark. It's really sad. Can you imagine saying, hey, we're going to skip Christmas this year or it's never Christmas anymore and just take it away. So growing up as a little kid, I love Christmas. My parents love Christmas. But the idea of not having Christmas, I like, that's dark. <laughs> that's awful. But here's the good news of what's going on when Jesus says, blessed. He's saying, it's always Christmas. <laughs> now, it's not like it will happen or might happen. It is Christmas right now. The joy that comes where we celebrate and remember Jesus' incarnation is for us every day. Now, I've already told many of you how much I love Christmas. So if you're new, let me tell you how much I love Christmas. So one of my, how many days until Christmas? 98, 97, somewhere in there. So anyway, um, you know, is one of my practices is to always watch the Christmas Carol um, with George C. Scott, who is the best Scrooge. And if you want to argue about that, we could argue about it later. But he has this uh, great experience um, uh, in, uh, in there, Scrooge does, where Marley comes to warn him. Now Marley's always living, it's always winter for Marley, but he's, he's concerned for Ebenezer. And it's this beautiful scene where, you know, uh, Marley shows up, and his, his Scrooge says, why are you here? <laughs> and he says, I'm here for you, Ebenezer. This is about your reclamation, about reclaiming who you really are. Um, so let's fast forward. Scrooge realizes he doesn't die, he gets another day. He falls to his knees and thanks. And thanks that what does he say? I will always honor Christmas in my heart. Every day, not just at Christmas time. And then the transformation of Ebenezer Scrooge is just a story that. Again, let's just talk for a second about what does the kingdom of heaven look like right now? It shows up in practical ways that people care and look for ways to help those who need help. If you know anything about the story of the Christmas carol, the transformation of a lot of what we see today uh, in terms of all the outpouring of love for children and people at Christmas time, that at the time that Dickens wrote the Christmas Carol, that it was dark. It was always winter, never Christmas. But because of that story, people got the idea of, I'm no longer an Ebenezer Scrooge. I'm someone free to be generous and lavish and to show love. The kingdom of heaven coming in the context of unbelievable um, story there. Uh, And so, that's the proclamation. That's the boom. Blessed. And what does it mean? It means this, intense delight, intense joy. One of the ways to measure where you are right now is what is the level of joy in your story right now? How much joy is there? How much is going on in your heart and mind that it is about pure honey from the rock? Go read Psalm 81 where God says, oh, that my people would listen to me. I want to feed them with the finest of wheat. Can you imagine being in the desert? You don't have water, you don't have food, you don't have anything, and you're desperate, as we'll see about what it means to be poor in spirit. And God says, I'm going to give you honey from the rock. Something so wonderful to taste when you're starving for reality. What's that honey? God wants to give you back your joy he wants to give you a sense of blessing he wants to give us a way of knowing what only we can find through him but how do we find it how do we understand it and here's the way to get there here's the path I'm your trail guide this morning we're at the trailhead here's what we want to see we want to see more joy in our story what's the path the path is you have to go low so that you can get high, that the way up is down. You've got to get in touch with the poverty of your soul and its need for Jesus. Now, why do we miss the joy that could be ours? It's because we're trying to be like God. We're trying to control our world. Everybody here on some level is addicted to trying to control your life, your story, and what's going on. And there's one thing that can free you up in the need to be God or to be in control, and that is to know what it means to be blessed, to have the joy of the Lord as the center and defining principle of your life, uh, to have the freedom to let it go. But how do you get there? You get there by realizing how bankrupt you really are to make your life work apart from an intimate relationship with God. So, in some ways, this is the bad news, but it's the best news. That if you want to be free today, you admit, nothing in my hands I bring. I come with empty hands, but simply to the cross I cling. That you'll come to this table today with a fresh sense of your desperate need because you know you're missing it. So... um, Uh, Back when I was in my young 20s in college, I traveled through Europe on my way to Israel with a really good friend. And as we traveled through Europe and went from city to city, we got to Austria, we're in Vienna. And by now, we were seasoned, we were backpacking through, we were seasoned travelers. So then we got uh, to Vienna and uh, we spent some time there, saw some magnificent art, did standing uh, seats in the opera. I mean, it was unbelievable. So we were going to go from Vienna to Venice on an overnight train. Uh, and by now, again, we knew what we'd do. We wanted to get rid of all our Austrian currency. Uh, we went to the Bonhof there to travel uh, to uh, <laughs> Venice. And I remember we got there early, we were so well organized. I was kind of showing off, you know, to these young co-eds were walking by. I was sitting on my backpack holding up Plato's Republic, you know, like, man, this guy's smart, you know. Uh, He's a philosopher. Uh, And just being very relieved, and I said to my friend, hey, I'm going to go check what track we're leaving on and figure out, you know, um, how we're going to catch our night train from Vienna to Venice. And so I'm sitting there, and it was a few hours even for it, but it wasn't showing up on the tracks. And then an hour later, and it was two hours, and it left about midnight. It still wasn't up, and I realized something's wrong. Maybe they canceled the train, so I go to the ticket window, and I go, "Um, can you tell me what track is the train leaving from uh, that's going to take us to Venice? And I remember (laughs) the clerk just looking at me going, you're in the wrong train station. (laughs) We were so proud, we knew what we were doing. We were in the Westbahnhof, we needed to be in the Sudbahnhof so we could get the train. At that point, we'd we'd given away all our Austrian money, we had no currency, and I was desperate, and so was my friend. And we realized, we've gotta go catch that train. And we were shameless. We started talking to Americans, saying, well, you give us, we're trying to collect some money so we can get back into the center of Vienna, so we can get to the train. And we were begging because <laughs> we didn't want to miss that train, okay? Uh, and it was humiliating. And you know how some people responded like, no way, and other people are like, what do you need? We stood, we got on that train just as it was pulling out. Just as it was pulling out. Now, the way to understand poverty of spirit is to realize Jesus is inviting you to a place where if you want to know his joy and see his kingdom, you're going to humble yourself and admit how much you need him, and you will become shameless in your desire to ask him for more, even though you're messing up, even though you know that the way you're living and the way you're thinking— is so counter to what you want and desire for yourself because Jesus loves us even when we're messing up and he wants to heal us and he wants to help us. And here's part of this imagery to help you with this. So good friend of mine, um, when he saw how much I got in trouble as a pastor, he said to me, Clyde, you have a sleeper berth on the humble train. Uh, in other words, God has put you on this experience of continually having to be humble by your mistakes and the things you're doing wrong, that he has given you a sleeper berth. You're not going to get off this train. And what Jesus is saying to us is, I have tickets for everybody here to have a sleeper berth on the humble train, to stay on that train and don't get off of it. But the only way you can get off on this train is to buy from me what I have already provided for you and realize I've bought your tickets. He has tickets for each one of us to get on this journey of learning how to go low, how to find joy in the midst of our trials, our problems, our sins, so that we might see the kingdom of heaven begin to become real to us, not only individually, but as a community, that we will begin to sense that being humble, uh, being contrite is a learned helplessness. Uh, I can't help myself. I can't do it by myself. I need Jesus to help me. And you are so blessed because you realize that's the way to find joy. Jesus is ready to help us when we say, I can't do it. I need your help. And then the kingdom of heaven happens in powerful ways. So what does it look like when people get the place that Jesus is talking about here. He says, when you're living in the kingdom of heaven, you begin to see how God wants to bring heaven to earth right now. C.S. Lewis is famous for saying that, uh, that people will say, anybody who's heavenly minded is not any earthly good. But what Lewis says so powerfully, he says, it's only the heavenly minded that do earth good. Um, So when we're humble and contrite, when we learn to realize our desperate need, how destitute we are of being able to give ourselves what we need to change and be different and to live in the power of his joy, Jesus delights to show up and pour into us a vision for what he wants to do that gets us outside of ourselves, gets us outside of our self-loathing, out of our self-pity, and his love for people who need his light and his joy and his mercy. Um, What does the kingdom of heaven look like? There's lots of illustrations here, but here's one. If you're not familiar with the International Justice Mission, IJM, Gary Hogan uh, book, you can read uh, the book uh, and read about it, but Before the pandemic, every year they have a big conference where they bring people from all over the U.S. and North America to study where injustice is happening all over the world, Um, and uh, to say, here's how you can pray, help, give, go to help address injustices for people who are living in unbelievable circumstances. Good friend of mine, he would go to this conference, and he said it's one of the best things he ever did for his teenagers. Uh, they went to this conference every year. They'd have a pre-conference for teenagers to come to, uh, where they could go and learn about ways God was working around the world to address injustice. And his three daughters caught a vision uh, in this, that I know them now, 15, 20 years later, and these young women are all about justice. And they're excited about how they can address with other Christians, organizations, churches, ministries, how they can address injustice. So how, how massive is this story? My friend and his family were really taken by how children were abused in Thailand and Bangkok. Um, now again, get ready for the supersized part of the story. He caught a vision of, I want to make a movie that tells a story of what goes on in Bangkok. You can go watch the movie. It's called The Trade of Innocence. If you have Amazon Prime, you'll find it. The Trade of Innocence, it's got famous actors. He took his whole family, he left his job, he went to Bangkok, Thailand, and he helps produce a movie about the injustice children suffer with in Bangkok, Thailand. And his three daughters took a gap year out of school and they spent the whole year helping film this movie that would communicate... Injustice in a way that the kingdom of heaven would be revealed to them and to the movie that they're different people today. They were transformed by, again, realizing if this is gonna happen, God has to do it. If this is gonna happen, then we have to be free from our selfishness and our love of everything American that keeps us with the cares of the concerns of this world choking out the joy, the blessedness that God has for us. How is this possible? It's because Jesus has come for us. Jesus lived the proclamation. Now here's the really great news. You're his joy. Jesus came because he knew because of what he would do when he became obedient even to death on a cross. He would provide heaven for us right now that gets us outside of ourselves, that gets us into our world, that gets us into issues where there's injustice, where there's brokenness, where there's sickness, where there's the need for this. He came to set us free to live for something so much bigger than ourselves. He wants to supersize your story, my friend. (laughs) He wants to give you so much more to live for than what you're living right now. But you have to look to him. And we get to meet him in this meal today and be reminded that this is about your reclamation. Jesus has begun a good work in you and he wants to complete it. And he's gonna do that by giving you a ticket that never expires, but you can always use it and it will take you to places you never thought you would go and you will become a person you never thought you could be because Jesus is always with you and he's on your side and he's cheering for you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the joy and the thrill. Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Lord, uh, forgive us for playing it safe, forgiving us for playing small. Jesus, we want to learn how to play big for you uh, in our classrooms, in our communities, and wherever we are. We want to know together the thrill of following you, Jesus. Amen. I want to invite those that are going to serve with me to come up this morning uh, and we're going to come to the table.